I was thinking this week, as we came to this morning, um, I'll just give you some, some ideas about the way my brain works, which may or may not be good for you today. I'm sorry for that. Um, but I typically always have a dialogue in my brain. Um, I said dialogue intentionally. I didn't say monologue because it's a conversation. Um, it's a give and take in the conversation, right? Like, I mean, just to give a prime example, right? Like, I mean, maybe I'm thinking about just that moment before, like, okay, should I read the whole thing? Should we cut part of this out? Well, maybe not, because we should probably read the whole thing. Or if you really want me to be honest, I'm thinking about, I wonder what we're going to have for lunch. But here's the problem. If I start thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch, like, oh, you can't think that. You need to focus on what you're doing right now. But then if, but, but if I know what I'm having for lunch, then I can focus on what I'm doing right now because I can take that off my plate. Like maybe your brain works something like mine where you're just continually going and there are questions being asked over and over again. I mean, here's what I, what I mean. Like in the mornings when I get ready, um, I'll shower. And as I'm showering, I'm thinking, what am I going to wear today? What am I doing today? Because what whatever I'm going to do today dictates what I probably wear because I'm going to be like, doing stuff outside or if I'm going to be sitting at a desk or what, what's the day look like. And so then I think about that. And then I think about, well, what, what about the unexpected thing that's going to happen today? Am I going to have the right heart for that, the right temperament, or am I going to be like irritable? Right? I want to make sure I have the right heart when that conversation happens. I wonder what that conversation will be. Well, maybe it'll be this, and I'll go through a whole list of things that could happen in my day. I know none of you do these kinds of things. Only I have these conversations in my head. Sometimes these voices in my head, sometimes they're really good. Sometimes these voices in my head, mm, not so good. Right? Maybe you've experienced that. Um, notice I keep saying in my head. I rarely have these conversations out loud, unless I were to have it out loud, but I really don't. However, some of you have these conversations out loud. We are concerned for you, by the way. Um, <laughs> I was, wasn't really meaning to name anyone there. Like, um, but here's the reality. We all listen to different voices over and over and over again. And the question is, what voices are we listening to? What internal voices? What external voices? What are the voices that are shaping us? And then this question, which voice carries the most weight? The reality is, for each of us, from the oldest to the youngest, we are shaped by all different kinds of voices. We are shaped by voices of those we surround ourselves with, like those who we spend the most time with. Their voice begins to shape us over time. We're shaped by what we watch or listen to, whatever news or entertainment industry, whatever those look like. We are shaped by those things over time. We're shaped by what we read. We're shaped by what we do. Right? We're shaped by all kinds of things, but all these voices compete, and they speak into our lives. And are you going, well, does that mean I shouldn't spend time with people who like, don't think like me or act like me? Not what I'm saying, but we do need to learn to recognize what it is that our goal in life is, and someone else's goal might be different than ours. But if our goals are the same then we can know that entering into the conversation. But we begin to think about what are the voices that shape us more and more and more. And so this question we have is this. In a world of competing voices, which voice do we hear the loudest? What voice is the loudest for us in a world of competing voices? It's easy to be shaped by all different kinds of things and not even realize it. It's easy to be shaped by words and teachings and thoughts, and they can hold us captive, and we can begin to live into them without ever realizing it has even happened because we're unaware. But what we spend time with, what we surround ourselves with, what we listen to does shape us over, over time. Jesus understood this. In fact, he understood it so well that he kept saying things over and over again, hoping to get his followers to begin to listen to his voice above all the other voices. And so we're going to look at John chapter 10 today. But before we get to John chapter 10, I just want to give you the premise of John chapter 9. So the premise of John chapter 9 is this. Are you the one? 
Jesus, are you the guy who's going to come to be the Messiah, the Savior, the one who's going to save us? Are you the one, or should we look for somebody else? Are you the one who's going to be the new king of Israel? Are you the one who's going to do that and set us free from oppression? Are you him or not? Are you the son of God? That's really the question that chapter 9 is getting to. And so in chapter 10, Jesus responds to the Pharisees and others who have all these questions, and here's what we find he says. John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, and anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus here is using an analogy of calling himself a shepherd. And he's trying to say this, that the shepherd doesn't have to worry about the way they enter the sheep pen, right? Like, they'll just go in and out the gate. That's fine. It's no big deal. But those who would come into the sheep pen, those who would come from other places, thieves, wolves, robbers, whatever it might be, they would have to come in and, like, sneak in other ways because the gatekeeper wouldn't let them in the gate. And so what he's saying is this, in a world of competing voices, there are all kinds of voices, right? And he's not trying to be subtle in his voice. In fact, he's trying to be loud. He even says this, that I'm the gate. And if you'll come to know that I'm gate, you can enter in and out, and you can enter into a relationship with me, and everything will make sense in light of me. But if, but if you allow other voices to be what you follow, if other voices are what shape you and you follow over time, what you recognize is that you don't know who I am. In a world in which we have competing agendas and themes, right, they typically, over time, they kind of muddy the message. Right? When, when we're shaped by the words of Jesus, when we're shaped by the scriptures, when we find that the church becomes our home and it becomes the place in people in which we, we fellowship and we begin to know who God actually is over and over again, as Jesus says, I and the Father are one. 
When we know Jesus and his voice shapes our life, then we begin to see other voices for what they are, good or bad. The internal voice becomes to be shaped by the Spirit of God rather than other kinds of things. Because over and over again, the things that we listen to, they shape us for good or for bad. We're shaped by internal voices, and sometimes those internal voices are not ones that we wish we heard. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about today. But what's it look like for us to hear his voice above all the other voices? In the midst of competing noise, how do we hear his voice? So I was thinking back years ago, uh, we lived in Illinois, and I coached a middle school basketball team there. And we were playing in the, like, the, they, in Illinois, the, the middle school teams can play in the state tournament. It's kind of cool. And so we're in, like, the regional final, and it's super loud in middle school gym, because every gym is loud, by the way, if you didn't know this. Like, there's four walls, and, like, it's loud. And so this little small gym is packed with people. And so at halftime, I pulled the guys aside and I said, hey, listen, it is really loud in here today, right? There was like no seats left. It was a pretty cool experience for them. And I said, you have got to listen to my voice in the midst of all the other competing voices. It is really loud in here today. So you have to tune everything else out and just listen for my voice. Because if you don't, you're going to be confused. You're going to go the wrong direction. You're going to run the wrong play. Listen to my voice. So the second half gets going. I call another timeout and I bring him in and I go, hey, You've got to hear my voice above all the other voices. And I actually whisper it on purpose. My voice alone. You can't hear anyone else's. You've got to hear mine. And the reality is I can't help but think that that's what it's kind of like for Jesus. He's going, hey, there's all kinds of noise that exists out there. There's all kinds of people that will tell you that if you will follow them or follow this way of life, then you will find life to its full or life eternal or the abundant life that God has for you. But what Jesus comes to say is, So many of those competing voices, though they are loud, they are not me. And the more you come to know me, the more you will hear my voice. And Jesus recognizes that sometimes his voice is really hard to hear in a world of competing voices. That's why last week we talked about this idea of the devil and what that looks like and how it's deceptive ideas often in our life. You can go back and listen, but sometimes these deceptive ideas, they take a foothold and they become a new voice in our life and in our heart and in our mind. But what might happen if Jesus becomes the singular voice that we listen to above all the other voices? And Jesus says something here to remind us that those, when we come to listen to him and we come to know his life, that his life is extended for all people in all places in all walks of life. It's why today your background doesn't matter. All people are invited into God's kingdom. In fact, he says these words, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. See, in the church too often, we've allowed things over time to kind of divide us at times. We've allowed either our, our birthplace or our birthright or our skin color or our race or our gender or whatever it might be to be a barrier to what God invites us to know him, right? Whether we're single or married, have kids or don't have kids, we've allowed these things to like be barriers to us. But what Jesus says is this, that we have unity of one flock despite the diversity of the sheep. That's super good, by the way. Unity of one flock despite the diversity of the sheep. So they can look different. They can sound different. But we're invited to be a part of one people, his people. And there are ways that we're called to live. We live following after him. And that's hard for us sometimes because we allow other voices to shape us and lead us. And we don't listen to his voice well all the time. 
In fact, we don't listen to his voice so well. I saw this video this week that I thought, um, maybe this is what it looks like when someone, like, hopefully we become sheep that so hear his voice, that if someone else is in the sheep pen or in our life, that we'd hear it and recognize it. So maybe this video is somewhat helpful. Um, maybe it's not. Um, so this is a guy who's in the sheep pen. The joke is that this Jesus is saying, if you love me, then feed my sheep to Peter, and he's feeding the sheep. Um, or maybe that's not Peter, and that's the whole point, too. Who knows? But I just thought it was funny. These sheep were mauling this guy. So that's it. So there's nothing uplifting about this other than it was kind of funny. We're talking about sheep today, and I don't know much about shepherds. So go figure. That's how that works. But in all seriousness, what does it look like to hear his voice? Right, did you know one of the cool things about shepherds? Um, I think it's kind of cool. I didn't really know much about it until this week, but uh, I don't know a lot about shepherds. But did you know that shepherds will often develop their own language to speak to sheep? Like they'll make noises, like they're like not really words, but they'll develop their own language for their sheep. So that way when their sheep hear it, they'll know, oh, that's our shepherd. And they'll go to that voice or that noise, right? It creates its own words. Kind of crazy, right? But here's the reality. I think sometimes... Um, we will hear the words of Jesus, and it's as if he's created a new language and we don't understand it. Right? He can be using the same words that you and I should understand, but we don't really get it. And so he's misunderstood often, right? The Pharisees do it, his disciples do it. They're like, do you think he meant that? What did he just say? I don't know what he said. Like, here's some examples. I was in a group a few years ago, and it had several educators in it, like school educators, and they were using all these like acronyms for things at school. Like, I now know what an IEP is. I didn't before that. And they use all these weird words, and I'm like, I know this is a language. I know it's English, but I have no idea what you're talking about. It wasn't ignorance. I just didn't know the right words. Right? I know what they meant. Or years ago, there was a movie called Mr. Mom. Maybe you've seen the movie. Michael Keaton was the main character in the movie. Uh, some of you are like nodding. Some of you are younger. Like, what are you talking about? It's okay. You're not missing out. Um, well, in the movie, there's a scene like Michael Keaton loses his job. And so his wife goes back and gets a job. And, and you know, he's, it's kind of weird for him. He's doing all the grocery shopping and some of the stuff. And it's totally gender, like, stereotype. But that's a whole other conversation. But, but he comes in. And, and so he's, her boss is coming over. And so he's a little intimidated because this guy's her boss and he's successful and she's got to go on this work trip. And so Michael Keaton's kind of concerned. So he puts on some coveralls and gets a chainsaw and the guy shows up and he like turns on the chainsaw and he's, oh, we're going to take out this wall and do this and like starts talking about stuff and he goes, oh, cool. And he goes, yeah, I could replace all the electricity in the house. And he goes, oh, you're going to go 110 or 220. Michael Keaton goes, yeah, 220, 221, whatever it takes. The problem with that is, which I didn't even know the first time I saw this clip, by the way, is electricity only comes in 110 or 220. That's it. So Michael Keaton is much like me. He doesn't know anything about construction, right? I can do some manual labor. I can carry stuff. But if you need technical stuff, not your guy. I don't know the language. Right? Here's the reality. Like, if I were coaching basketball, I could say to players on a basketball team, hey, if the ball's in that corner and your guy's in the other corner, you should be one step ball side. And you're going, what does that mean? Right? Good question, because unless you are in the middle of it, you don't know what it means either. It's English. I'm using words you should understand, but because we don't understand the context, it has a unique language. So what's my point in all this? We only understand words and language in the thing that we are immersed in. So sometimes the words of Jesus are hard for us to understand because we are not immersed in time with 
the scriptures are sometimes hard to understand. They're often hard and difficult to understand, but they're even harder to understand when we're not immersed in them over time. Right? In fact, we see this with the Pharisees. They didn't get it either. They didn't understand Jesus. We see these words from verse 19. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See, the Pharisees are asking good questions, right? They're asking this first question. Should we listen to Jesus? It's a question you and I have to answer as well. Should we listen to Jesus, yes or no? He promises us life and life eternal and life abundantly. Do we want that? We think it's true. They asked the second question. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The obvious answer was no. A demon couldn't do that. So this man must be from God. He must be somewhat connected to God because that's not what happens. Jesus was opening eyes literally in that day and he still wants to open our eyes today. So I said a phrase all throughout the scriptures. Eyes to see and ears to hear. Are we seeing from a kingdom perspective, from the eyes of Jesus? Do we hear his voice? Is that what shapes us? Are we shaped by other voices over time? Again and again, this is something we have to wrestle with. This text continues. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus has gone to the temple, and it's during this festival called the Festival of Dedication, also known as the Festival of Lights. You and I know it better as Hanukkah. It's a celebration of the Maccabean Revolt. It's the celebration of the time of the year oppressed by the Greeks. And Judas Maccabeus and his family had come in, and the, the Greeks had come over. They'd taken over the temple. They'd turned into a place where they were offering, offering sacrifices to pagan gods. Um, they had desecrated it and torn out stuff. They'd turned into a brothel. It was a mess, and the Maccabean family led a revolt. And they drove out the Greeks. And so this is a celebration of that. The Jewish people had been liberated. They had been set free from those who oppressed them. And no longer were those oppressors there. And so the Maccabean family ruled for 100 years after that. And since that 100 years had been over, they had been enslaved to a new empire, the Romans. And so here they are. They're asking this question. This is the question they want to know. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one that's going to set us free to liberate us like the Maccabeans did? Are you the one who's going to bring light into the darkness? Are you the one who will do this? Are you the one who's going to give us freedom from oppression? And Jesus answered them, Jesus, the one who is known to the light of all mankind, speaks into the festival known as the festival of light and offers his light. Now, I've got to be honest. Most of the time, when I think about Jesus responding in this text, most of the time, I think about like an angry teacher, an irritated parent, an upset coach. Like these are the images that come to my mind over and over again, right? Like I remember when I was in sixth grade band. I only took band for one year. Maybe this is why. 
Um, you know, the reason why is because they put me on the trombone. I didn't want to play the trombone. Um, and so I remember Mr. Pell was our sixth grade band teacher, and Mr. Pell stepped outside to take a phone call. This is obviously pre-cell phone because you had to go get the phone somewhere else. And so he leaves, goes to the office to take the phone call, and as soon as he walks out the door, a few of us look at one another and we're like, he's gone. And so 12-year-old boys do what 12-year-old boys will do. We all blow our instruments or play them as loud as humanly possible, right, just to see. And if we all did it, then he couldn't name one of us, so he didn't let us have it when he came back. He was not very happy. You know, like, we're 12-year-old boys, like... And there were some girls in the class too, but you know, I, I didn't, I was looking at the boys in my row, we're all looking at you like, okay. And he came in and lit us up. That's often what I've thought about when I read this text, but I think that's the wrong way to think about this text. In fact, what I can't help but think is this. There's a level of frustration, but it's more of a grieving parent who longs for their child to make wiser decisions in life. And they're not, they're past the point of being angry and yelling. For the point where they're in the deep love they have for this child, that they would make a wiser decision, they would go a different direction. And here's where I kind of began to hear this text in that way. I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is saying, I want you to be one of my sheep. I want you to listen to my voice. I want you to follow me and come to know life and life abundantly. I want you to know life eternal here and now. If you'll just listen to my voice and let my voice be what you follow, let my voice be what shapes you. It's not a ticked off teacher mad at a class or an angry parent. It's a loving father who grieves over us making decisions that lead away from him. It's him saying, don't you understand? The robber, the thief, the wolf, the principalities and powers, right? These things over and over again, they cannot take you from me. They don't have the power to do that. But you can choose to not listen to me. You can choose to ignore me. You can allow other voices to be what shapes you. You can choose to reject me. But know that that's your choice because I've done everything possible so that you can know you get to choose me. And I've rejected everything and pushed everything else aside so that you can know that nothing, nothing can keep you from me. But your own decision. I can hear Jesus saying, like, you can learn to rest in me. You can learn to abide in me. You can learn to live so connected to the love of God that the very spirit of God lives in and dwells in you so that you live from the overflow of God's love in everything you do. And it can shape your perspective of the world in which we live and give you proper perspective. It's why Jesus is saying to us again and again, do you want to know who the God, who God is? One who I call Father do you want to know how he loves? It is selfless and sacrificial. It lays down its life only to take it up again so that you and I can know life to its full. Do you know what love looks like? It looks like that. It's the shepherd who doesn't care about what resources or powers its sheep have, but are there because he loves it. 
and he cares for it, and he's there. And so how do you and I learn to hear his voice? Today, by the way, is Pentecost Sunday. The Sunday was to remember God gave his spirit for you and I to live so connected to the divine that we can live as the overflow of God's love in the world, that the very creator of all wants you and I to enter into intimate relationship with him, to live connected to him through the work of his spirit. And when that begins what drives our life, then the internal voice that we hear over and over again can become more and more shaped by the very Spirit of God. But we have a role to play in that. Right now, that was pretty clear to me this week. Um, so Wednesday morning, I got up, normal morning for me. I got up and my alarm went off, and I used my phone as my alarm, which might change in the future, I don't know. But used my, my phone as my alarm. Uh, got up, woke up Isaac, and then I um, did something that I don't normally do, right? I read my emails, replied to a couple, I checked social media messages, I checked to see who won the basketball game from the night before, I read the news real quick, and then my normal routine is I then will sit in the corner and like read my Bible and a devotional book and a prayer book I use and, and spend time there. You know what the problem was Wednesday? I did all those other things first, and I was distracted so when I sat down to pray or to read my Bible, or whatever, I was thinking about the news and I couldn't believe, you know, like the, the Celtics won a game. And like, I, I mean, all these things are running through my head and I'm distracted. And so to hear the voice of God in the midst of all these other competing voices was really difficult. In fact, I did a very poor job of it. Because I had a lot of other things to get a foothold in that. I was distracted. Right? It's why spiritual practices do matter so much. It's also why I say, unequivocally, and I've come to believe this is true because I've, I've done devotional time like at lunchtime or in the evenings and all kinds of other times, but here's what I'm convinced of and convicted of and believed to be true 100% of the time. If we'll start our day in quiet time with Jesus, it reorients our whole day. When it becomes an afterthought later in the day, it doesn't have nearly the same impact. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like sometimes better than no time, but if it begins our day in that way, it reorients my mind. The voice that I'm hearing throughout the day is shaped from the scriptures. It's shaped from good thoughts of what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's shaped from time in prayer. I'm more in tune with the Spirit throughout the whole day. But how we start our day, it matters because it's the first voice that we hear. In fact, I was thinking about that so much. I was reading an article this week from Time Magazine, and and in the article, the, the author was talking about, and, and they're getting all kinds of stuff, like about early birds and night owls, like, right? Like people who stay up really late or get up really early. And they're like joking about in the article, there's actually, there's a bunch of data on it, but that's a whole other conversation, about how the truth about the early bird gets the worm is true. Like it's just actually factually true. So if you're like, an, you're a night owl, sorry, bad news for you. Better figure out how to be a little bit of early bird if you want to get the worm. Um, maybe you don't want a worm, so that's fine. But, but here's the reality of this. What they also said, and they didn't spend any time in it, they said that further study needed to be done, but what they noticed also is that people who got up earlier were much more religious. Now, they weren't talking about necessarily Christian in general, but, but they are just making that point. It wasn't surprising to me to read that. Why? Because if I'm going to spend time with Jesus in the morning, I have to actually get up earlier. My day doesn't get to start later because I want to spend more time in prayer. I have to get up earlier. And it's true in your life too, right? Is it fun getting up an extra 30 or 45 minutes early every day? No. Some days I'd rather sleep. But I also know I pay for it later in the day. And so do you. 
And so what might happen if you and I allow Jesus' voice to be the beginning voice of us? Or maybe the other thing you wrestle with is the same thing I wrestle with. Maybe not, right? My temptation is to think about if I just learn more, right? Like I'll just read more books on theology. I'll just read the Bible more. I'll just read more books on spiritual formation. I'll just read more information. So if I can get more information in my head, right, then I will know God more. Now, at one level, don't, don't mishear this. Those are not bad things, by the way. I would encourage you to do them. But here's the other reality for us. The goal isn't to know more information. The goal is to know God. The goal is to know the voice of Jesus, which may happen by the more I read those things, but sometimes it's just more information. I don't need more information. I need to learn to sit in God's presence and hear his voice. And you allow silence to be a place where I, I was talking to someone from church this week, and one thing I just said to them was like, hey, what if you just prayed this prayer? God, help me become more aware of your presence. And then when like noise started to come in and sitting in silence, you go, okay, God, help me be more aware of your presence. And when more noises come in, God, help me be more aware of your presence. And I said, what if you and I lived in that way so that like this person who their, their temptation is much like mine, I'll just read more, retain more information, but that doesn't lead to a greater relationship, right? In my marriage, if it's struggling, reading more books on marriage is not a great way to fix that. No, spending time with my spouse would be a much better way to fix that. It's true with God. We want to know him. We want to hear his voice. And that happens by we spend time with him. And so how do we begin to know his voice? How do we know if something is right or wrong, if it leads us closer to Jesus or pushes us further away? How do we understand scripture, right? Like that's a question we often get. Well, here's a thing that's helpful. In our tradition, we, we, John Wesley is one of the theological forefathers, but one of the things we talk about is we call it Wesley's quadrilateral. So we're going to go to school for like two minutes. Just bear with me. So you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so bored. Sorry. Um, Wesley's quadrilateral, here's what it means, right? It's scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. So it begins with scripture. Like sometimes they'll, they'll draw like a stool, right? A three-legged stool. And so scripture is the top part of the legs. And then reason, tradition, experience are the three legs of the stool. But the top is the scripture, right? We understand scripture in light of itself, right? That's also how we often do that. We use other parts of scripture to understand it. But then we go, well, because well, you know what? Because have you noticed that not everything that we deal with in life is in the Bible? Have you noticed that? You, it's not literally a manual, a how-to manual. That's not this point, by the way. So how do we understand? What are we supposed to do? How are we called to live in the midst of things in the world? Well, this is where we'd say, okay, we'll use scripture. And we go, well, how do we understand scripture? In light of reason, you know, we have brains. We're supposed to use them. In light of tradition, in other words, the church has existed for 2,000 years. By the way, if we think we figured out something new that for 2,000 years almost they didn't believe, we're not that smart. We're wrong. They're not. Tradition does matter. Like, like, that's why the longevity of the church matters. Right? Then experience, well, just because I, sometimes we go like, well, like, that seems weird experientially, so how do I understand that? Well, we understand it in light of these things. So scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. And we come back and go like, well, can I say it? Does the Bible say it? Well, it doesn't actually talk about it. Okay, well, what, what's comparable? How do we understand this? What makes sense? What has the church said historically? Well, how have we experienced God at work in our lives? But it always comes back to the scripture becomes the formational thing of us. And so we understand who God is and we hear his voice in light of that. So if we think it's his voice, yet scripture doesn't say it, the church hasn't said it historically, well, maybe I experience it. Well, it doesn't mean it's right. Right? Well, I like the logic of it. Still, if the other areas say no, then we'd say no. If all the things say yes, then we go yes. Right? You can do that with all kinds of areas of life, but scripture, reason, tradition, 
and experience. As then for us, what's this look like for us? In a world of competing voices and competing noises and things that we hear all over again, what voice is loudest? What voice do we listen to the most? What voice shapes us the most again and again? And here's the reality. There are competing voices in our mind and in the world. And the more we spend time with God, the more we allow the life, the teaching, and the resurrection of Jesus to shape our life, the more the Holy Spirit helps us know who God is, the more we spend time in community of faith, those things will shape us over time and over and over again. We can come to know who we are created to be. We can come to know whose we are. We can come to know the voice of the shepherd. And so the voice in our head becomes the voice that is shaped by him. And the more we come to know his voice, the more it speaks into our life differently, the more we live differently. It's why these words from John are so impactful for us. John 13, he says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Or again, John says this in John chapter 15, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus is the shepherd who loves us, the shepherd who lays down his life for us, the one who says, do you want to know who God is? He is me. Jesus comes that you and I can have life, life to its full, life abundantly. Jesus comes to say, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. In a world of half-truths and competing voices, do you and I know his voice? The invitation for you and I is this, is to listen to his voice, to be his sheep, and to follow him. We pray with me today. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, for the way you desire for us to become more and more the very people of God you have called us to be. We'd ask today that you would help us to be your people more and more, that we'd be shaped by your love and your grace and your mercy. We would recognize this command that you have for us to love God and love others, this command to follow your teachings and to live from you as the guide. We love others the way you love us. So you would help us to recognize the areas of our life that we need to lay down and surrender and the areas of life where we need to stop surrendering and to pick up. So, Father, we help us to hear your still, small voice in the midst of all the competing voices in the world. That the loudest voice we'd hear would be yours, even if it's a whisper. And so, Father, will you help us today to be your people again and again and again. May you be the shepherd, and may we be your sheep. May we follow you with all that we are. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.